turn with me to John chapter 1. Lengthy chapter, 51 verses. We're working our way through. We're up to verse 29. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We can put one in your hand. And uh, we can even have it pre-marked for you. John chapter 1, verse 29. Now that you got nice and comfortable, why don't you stand as we read it? So you're going to get all nice and waking up, woke up this morning, whatever, refreshed. You don't have to go back to your knees anyway. So it's just, we're going to just stand in reverence to the Word of God. We don't always do this, but more and more I love doing it. John 1, verse 29, starting verse 29. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is why Jesus came, brothers and sisters. Take away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him. We'll talk about what that means here. But that he should be revealed to Israel, therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove. And he remained upon him. I did not know him, second time he says this, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that this is the Son of God. We thank you for sending the Lamb of God. Lord, I pray that we would have our ears opened and our hearts softened by the Spirit of God. Lord, fall afresh upon this place, upon me. Remove me once again from the equation that we might hear from Jesus. Lord, all of us, would, Lord, would have hearing ears and a hearing heart. Lord, we pray that you would minister to us what each person specifically needs, those that are watching online, those that are out in the courtyard, those in the overflow room. Lord, each person that's watching online or in this place, Lord, would hear what you want them to hear. Same verse, one arrow hitting many hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And welcome those of you who are online. First service, I don't have to say that because we don't have an online service for the 830. You either come or there's no hearing the first service. Uh, I don't think we even record it, but uh, welcome again. Uh, John chapter 1 here, we left off with John testifying, we left off last week, with John testifying, if you recall, that he is the one of whom the, uh, Isaiah the prophet prophesied of, declaring that he was unworthy to touch even the dusty sandal strap of the one who was coming. So John says, one is coming, when he comes, I'm not even worthy to touch his sandal strap, this is going back to last week. And the one whose worthiness was far above John. He said he preferred before me. And one day later, the one arrives. As you see in the text, verse 29, the next day. So the, uh, last week was the day before. Here we are. One day later, John says, there he is. And the one that he said was coming has arrived. If you're taking notes, you see uh, the title this morning, Behold the Lamb. And we want to look at the first thing this morning of, of three that we'll look at. Uh, the Lamb for sin. It's the day of Jesus' unveiling, the coronation of His ministry here, 
John's ministry will now begin to yield, will begin to subside and decrease while Jesus' will rise now and it will dawn and it will take precedence. And John's first words here are what? Behold the Lamb. By way of reminder, only the Apostle John uses and records this title in his writings, uh, the Lamb. Only the Apostle John writes that in all the scriptures. Here in the book of John, referencing John the Baptist's witness, and also several times John the Apostle says it in the book of Revelation, what he observes in heaven. But travel back to this scene in the Jordan Valley. Jesus approaching John, so there's a picture of the Jordan Valley. In the north part, it's more lush. and the southern part, it's very dry. But if you look at the map of the Jordan Valley, you've got that from the Sea of Galilee all the way down into the Dead Sea. And John did his ministry there in the Jordan Valley in the middle distance between, so it's kind of like not as lush, but not as uh, brown, kind of right there at the base of the Sea of Galilee in that area all the way down to about uh, the wilderness area of the desert, and sometimes he was out in the wilderness as well. Uh, But travel back to this scene, and Jesus is approaching John. We don't know where exactly, near Bethbara, somewhere in that area, but exactly where we don't know. But uh, in that area, the Bible tells us, back in verse 28. So he's in that area of uh, Bethabara, and Jesus is approaching. And we understand that John's prophesied role um, as the forerunner was to do what? It was to point to the Messiah. And that's exactly what he does here. He says, behold the Lamb of God, but not with a title that anyone would have expected. Now if you call a man a lamb in Israel, if you call someone in Israel a lamb in that time period, not just a lamb, but you call them the lamb, what might that mean to Jewish hearers? Think about it. If you were back in that time, you go back 2,000 years ago, and John is there, he's in his camel skin, which is still odd to everybody. Like, why is this guy dressed like this? He's out here in the wilderness area. He's down by the river. He's baptizing people. And he says, behold the Lamb, the Jewish hearers. What does it mean to them to hear a man called a lamb? The lamb was synonymous with the blood sacrifices. We all understand that, right? That was, it was synonymous to the Jewish people that the lamb and blood sacrifices were the whole reason the lambs were given. And not just under the law that was given to Moses, but even prior to Moses in the Tanakh, which is the whole Old Testament, Genesis to Malachi, remember Abel took from his flock, didn't he? Abel took from his flock, and he sacrificed to God, an acceptable sacrifice. We have the Passover lamb that reminded Israel that they would be spared from the judgment of God if the blood was applied. There were the daily sacrificial lambs in the morning and in the evening in the temple. Isaiah 53 spoke of a lamb as being led to slaughter. Like the lambs being led through the sheep gate. The sheep gate were the lambs that were headed for the priest to sacrifice them. One of Jesus' titles is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. 
I've made this clear. By the way, that's Revelation 5, 5, if you're taking notes. The line of the tribe of Judah. I've mentioned this before. I love lion documentaries. I think I've seen them all. And YouTube is helping me find any ones that I've never seen before. Everyone loves a, the majestic, a 550-pound male lion full of power and strength. You'll see one drive an entire herd of buffalo backwards and stuff like that. You know, it's just amazing um, bravery. But John doesn't say as Jesus approaches, he doesn't say, behold the lion, does he? Jesus possesses the title of King of Kings, doesn't he? King of Kings, 1 Timothy 6.15 Revelation 17, 14. Revelation 19, 16. But John didn't say, behold the king, did he? That would have been music to everyone's ears. Behold the king, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now virtually anyone within the Jewish community of Israel believed and hoped for the promise of Messiah. That term, they, they believe, which also means Christ, the anointed one which could apply to a high priest, which could apply to a king, and even the patriarchs like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were anointed ones. But the thinking and the hope of the first century Jews, when they would hear the word Messiah, it meant one overarching thing to all of Israel. It meant the coming king was promised, the coming king that was promised was arriving. The Messiah, the, the king would be here. The one we've been waiting for, the king that would restore the glory of David and Solomon. Oh man, let's make silver like it's dust again. The splendor. That he would set up his throne and Rome would be destroyed. No more Caesar over us. We have a lot of people in America that are like getting tired of government, right? Tired of Caesar being over us. What freedom. But they didn't want just freedom. They wanted a king like David that would make the Jewish realm the wonder and just kind of the, uh, the world would look to the Jewish kingdom again, once again would say, wow, that is greatness. And they would be under, no more under the Gentiles and the Gentile chains of occupation and governance shattered by a Davidic king raised up by God. That was the... When they thought Messiah, that's who they were thinking, a Messiah, a, a, a follow-up to David, a prophet like Moses, a leader, a ruler. And of course, Jesus came to earth possessing that right. Would we agree with that? Jesus came to earth possessing the right. He had that authority. He had that position. But he didn't come as a lion, didn't come as the lion of the tribe of Judah to tear into pieces his enemies. You ever read some of David's prayers? Lord, grind them into powder. Tear them in pieces. I always, and Lord, am I allowed to pray this? Because I see this here, and this seems like a justifiable prayer to me. And like, can I pray, and, and can I call down this kind of judgment? You know, all right, Lord, don't tear them into pieces. Maybe just the arm or, you know, pieces, you know. Don't confuse some of the Old Testament with the, <laughs> with, 
the, uh, the old covenant with the new covenant. You know, we've got, we have a different calling now. We're not called to bring the world under the kingdom through, uh, the, you know, David was a, was a warrior and God used him in that way, but we're called, our weapons are not carnal, they're mighty in power, they're bringing down strongholds with prayer and with the gospel and with compassion for people. But understand, Jesus did not come to tear the enemies in pieces like a lion could do. He didn't come to rule over the house of Israel. He came to save the house of Israel, to save them. He didn't come to break the chains of Gentile rule and government like the Romans, Caesar. No. He came to break the chains of sin. Amen? We could get a perfect government and people will still be sinners. Came to break the chains of sin. And Jesus didn't, now, this is for his first coming. His second coming is a whole new ball game. He's breaking everything in his second coming, amen? Including the government structures, all of it. But the first coming was to address the primary need of humanity, and that was sin. In Matthew 121, you know this passage. It's getting near the Christmas season. You'll see it a lot around Christmas. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from the Roman government. Doesn't say that, does it? For he will save his people from Herod. Save his people from Caesar. Save his people from a bad economy or a virus. From their sins. From their sins. We get distracted, but God never gets distracted on what's the primary need, right? Israel indeed needed a Savior first and foremost above everything else. And even though Jesus is a king, Israel needed a sacrificial lamb before it needed a splendid monarch. And of course, Jesus will sit on the throne one day as that splendid monarch. But they first need, and you and I first need, a sacrificial lamb. Of course, Jesus is both. And this lamb of God must also be a man. Look at verse 30 in your text. It's uh, in quotation, starting with, Behold, this is John the Baptist speaking, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Verse 30, This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man. It's important. Every word in the Bible is given to us by the Holy Spirit for a specific reason. The Lamb must be a man, and the man must also be God. Emmanuel, God with us. The Lamb had to be a man, but the Lamb also had to be God, sinless, with perfect blood. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said this, he said, Remember, Christ was not a deified man, neither was he a humanized God. He was perfectly God, at the same time perfectly man. We need Jesus to fulfill everything as the Lamb, as a man, but also as God. So as he walks forward, uh, John says, Behold the Lamb, But he also says, he's the man. This need, brother and sister, of redemption and forgiveness, this need of the lamb who is both man and God, this sinless blood, this need of redemption and forgiveness remains the central work of the gospel. The gospel has never changed. Amen? Amen. 
it is still to save sinners from their sins. And by the way, that's every one of us, those of you online, those of you out in the courtyard, every single one of us are sinners. And without the Lamb, we have no hope. I was reading this week, by the way, um, in utmost for his highest, uh, Oswald Chambers, he talked about the fact that it, he said it's utter nonsense, I'm paraphrasing, he said it's utter nonsense to think that God saved us because He loves us. He does save us because He loves but the proof of it is He poured out His wrath on the Lamb. Amen? He can love us only because our sin has been satisfied by Jesus' suffering. Does this make sense to you? In other words, you can only be saved because the wrath of God was poured out on the Lamb of God. He can only love us because of the blood. In other words, he's so holy and so perfect that this has to be atoned before we could ever be brought into the work of salvation. So you need, and I need, and our families need, and our neighborhoods need, and our government needs, and our, sa- our nation needs, we all need a Savior. And the cleansing, the forgiveness of our sins. I've been saved since 1995. And I barely can understand how rotten I am and how much I need the Lamb of God. I mean, I, I can meditate on it and still I'm nowhere. And, and the proof of this is every time one of the prophets in the Old Testament get a glimpse of God, they, they fall on their face. They, can't, they, they finally a little bit understand how undone they really are. For salvation, we need a Lamb. We, of course, have to admit we need the Lamb. We have to confess that we need the Lamb. We have to repent, and we have to receive Jesus' forgiveness and atonement. And all of this is a personal work. You cannot do it for another person. Parents, you wish you could do it for your kids, don't you? You wish you could be there. Man, Lord, I I said forgiveness, they're all covered. They're never going to walk away. No, each person has to make that personal decision. I can't make it for my wife. She can't make it for me. My parents can't make it for me. I can't make it for them. It's a personal work. Jesus, of course, thankfully, can save an entire group of people. A whole fa- You remember like Cornelius and his whole household, the Philippian jailer and his whole household, 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost, all of Nineveh. Right? So God can take an entire group and save them in the same day or at the same time, but it's still one sinner at a time, one soul at a time, one step of faith at a time, receiving the blood of the Lamb. And that blood had to be shed. Without the shedding of blood, the Scriptures tell us there's no remission or covering of sin. So we know we have the need of the Lamb. Let's take a look at our next point. The one revealed, the one revealed. So picking up with uh, the same passage we left off, verse 30 there, this is the one who's preferred before me. Comes a man who's preferred, preferred before me. For he was before me, I did not know him. This is, and John says this twice here. He says it again um, a couple verses down. Where is it? He says again, I did not know him but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. Now in spite of John the Baptist's miraculous birth, and you have Jesus, who also had even a more miraculous birth, because 
Jesus, of course, was born of a virgin. That's only happened once and will only happen once in the annals of history. But John had a miraculous birth too. His mom was past childbearing age, Elizabeth. She was older in years and didn't think she could possibly have a child. In fact, the angel Gabriel, you guys heard his name, right? Angel Gabriel. He visited John's father, Zacharias, but the angel Gabriel also visited Mary. Same, same angel. If you look it up, you'll see Gabriel was named in both of those visits, uh, coming to John's father, Zacharias, and also coming to Mary, announcing their births. And in spite of what was told to John the Baptist's parents about John's life and his calling, and what was told to Mary about Jesus, and what was told to Joseph about Jesus from an angel too, that you know, he's going to save his people from his sins. In spite of all that, that the parents knew, um, even though he had all that, even though John's parents and, and Jesus' parents knew all this, um, in spite of all that, John doesn't seem to know exactly what's going to take place as it relates to Jesus. Now think about when his parents got this information, Mary and Joseph, Zacharias and Elizabeth, when they get this information, it's 30 years earlier than this scene here. 30 years earlier. I'm 51. That would be, I'd, I had to go back to when I was 21. What was, what was going on? You know, in, in their case... You know, they're about the age of 30. They were infants or small babies when their parents, you know, of course they got the information before they were born, but you go back 30 years. So 30 years has passed since that angel Gabriel came and said, here's, you're going to have a son. Mary and Joseph, you're going to have a son. Here's what their lives are going to look like. But 30 years have passed. And Jesus during that time, we don't know all the things he was doing, but he had been quietly working with his earthly father as a carpenter during that 30-year period. And by this time, John the Baptist, though, he's now been called into this very public ministry with throngs of people coming from Jerusalem and all over Judea uh, coming to hear him preach, and many are repenting and being baptized. But John still has no sense of his cousin being the one who's going to step forward as Messiah. I don't know if you knew this or not, but it's recorded twice in the text. He's, again, verse 31, I did not know him. Verse 33, now I see it, I did not know him. He's not saying he didn't know him as his cousin. He knew who Jesus was. He knew they were related. He knew they were cousins. But he said, I didn't know him that he was the Messiah. I did not know. It said he had to be revealed. I did not know him but that he should be revealed to Israel. We're not sure how well John and Jesus knew each other as children or as teenagers or even as young men. Remember that Jesus, his early childhood was where? In Egypt. Jesus was in Egypt as a young child away from all of his relatives. When the Lord said it was safe for Jesus to come up out of Egypt with his family, and now we're getting the Christmas story mixed in here too, so or the nativity scene there, well, that's post-nativity. But when Jesus was told, uh, or his parents were told, that he could return to Israel, they went up to where? Galilee, which is the northern part of Israel. 
And John, he grew up in Judah, which is in, south, in the south. And John was born into the priesthood and would have been occupied with his father Zacharias and things of that nature. But Jesus was born into a life of carpentry. And, but for whatever reason, John, John the Baptist that is, he had no idea when he began his ministry as the forerunner as to who the Messiah was going to be. He knew he was supposed to proclaim the Messiah, so by faith he stepped into his ministry, but he had to be thinking, Lord, I'm baptizing people, I'm calling people to repentance, this Messiah, who is it? At that time, he did not know who was the promised one. John's job was to proclaim the coming Messiah and then point to the Messiah when, when God revealed it. When God revealed it, then he would be able to say, there he is. Remember in, last week he said, there's one coming. There's one coming. I'm not, I'm not, no, I'm not worthy to touch a sandal strap, but when he comes. And so... from John the Apostle's account and supplemented from other details from the other Gospels, the Lord appears to reveal first and foremost to John the Baptist who Jesus is. So John gets the revelation before anybody else who the Messiah is. Uh, other than like Mary had been told this when, you know, Joseph. But again, he doesn't seem to know it. And John then proclaims it to the people. So twice we've read here, he says, I did not know him. In other words, I didn't know him as Messiah. I didn't know him as the Lamb. But something changes as Jesus approaches. As Jesus is walking towards him, or it could have been earlier that morning, something prior, something changes as Jesus is approaching. And how does it change? Well, we can see in Luke chapter uh, 3, we can see where John can get this revelation that hasn't been yet given to everybody else. This is something that we see in John's ministry calling. It says, The word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Again, John was the last of the Old Covenant prophets. Jesus ushers in the New Covenant, but this phrase, the word of God, or the word of the Lord came unto me, was common in the ministry of the prophets. John's the last of the Old Covenant prophets. So the Old Covenant prophets, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, right? All those prophets. It was not uncommon for them to say, and the word Lord came unto me, and the word Lord came unto me. And so uh, with Jesus comes the new covenant, but John receives the same kind of revelation as these prophecies. The word Lord came unto Samuel and Nathan, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, to name a few. Now just as the Spirit of God told John when and where and what to begin preaching, remember? He was in the wilderness. There's, there's the verse on the screen. He's in the wilderness, and the Spirit says, here's what I want you to do. Just as the Spirit told him when to go, what to do, and now start baptizing and preaching by that same work of the Spirit. The point is that the revelation of Jesus, John being told who Jesus is, would have been the same work of the Spirit. It could be something like, the word of the Lord came to me and said, 
that one walking towards you, or in the morning when you are standing there, when someone walks directly, it will be the Lamb of God, the prophesied forerunner. Just as it was um, revealed to John, it would then be revealed to everyone else living in Judah at that time. And as it was then and as it still is now, the revealing of Jesus is always a blessing. Do Do you remember the first time you ever heard about Jesus? Some of you were like in Sunday school. Some of you, somebody invited you to church when you were in your 20s. I've met people that grew up in an atheist home or grew up in a different religion, didn't know anything about Jesus. Now the revelation or hearing about Jesus or hearing the gospel in itself is a blessing. How shall they uh, hear and him who they've not heard of? Blessed are those that bring the gospel of peace. It's a blessing to hear the gospel and to hear Jesus, but it's the accepting and believing on Jesus that brings salvation and the eternal blessing. Amen? Amen? Remember, Jesus is the lamb. The Passover lamb. You could sacrifice the lamb. You could be holding the basin full of blood and if the angel of death comes, you never applied the blood. It doesn't matter if you're holding on to the basin. The whole basin of blood could be right there, but you didn't apply the blood. Our salvation is not just knowing about Jesus, it's applying the blood of Jesus. Amen? So I had to believe on him and put my trust in him. I want to close with the visual confirmation John was given in addition to the word of the Lord. He gets one final confirmation of who Jesus is. Let's take a look at what I've titled The Spirit Confirms. The Spirit Confirms. Let's pray one more time. It's just as we look at this final thing, I want the Spirit to speak to you. Spirit to speak to me as we kind of come to a close. We look at these last sections. We don't want to just have that be head knowledge, but let the Spirit speak to you. Lord, we just ask for your Spirit to speak to us. Yes. Confirm to us your work, your hand on our life. As you did with John, do the same with us. In your name we pray. Amen. Although the Apostle John Let's look at the text again. Uh, Verse 32, And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and He remained upon Him. And I did not know Him, but He was sent, He sent me to baptize with water and said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on Him, this is He who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Although the Apostle John doesn't specifically describe John baptizing Jesus, which is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he is in fact describing the same scene of baptism. But he includes an aspect of this glorious scene that's not explained in the other three Gospels. In all three of the other Gospels, Jesus comes and presents himself to John to be baptized. John, of course, realizing that Jesus is the Lamb of God, he says in Matthew chapter 3, I need to be baptized by you. Why are you? This is all upside down. Why would I baptize you? I'd ask the same question. Jesus answers, permit it to be so, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Now Jesus isn't baptized as proof of repentance and turning from sin. We all understand that, right? Everyone else that John was baptizing, they were repenting from sin and turning to God. Jesus has no sin and he is God. 
Baptism is a picture of obedience and turning to God, being cleansed, but Jesus is already clean. So his baptism can't be the same as everybody else's. It's not. Furthermore, John tells us here in verse 33 that Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Matthew and Luke tell us that John said Jesus would baptize with fire. Right? Picture the Spirit. In other words, that Jesus will baptize with the cleansing work of the Spirit, but equally with the power of the Spirit. The fire that was poured out on Pentecost sent power around the globe, didn't it? So why exactly is Jesus being baptized? Have you ever wondered that? Why is Jesus being baptized? John had to wonder. One, it's an example of his surrender. But his baptism is a symbolic picture of the entire mission of Messiah. As Jesus comes down into the water, not just down the water, down in the Jordan Valley, which is the lowest valley on earth, it's a picture of him coming down to the earth. The whole Jordan Rift Valley is the lowest valley on earth, from the Red Sea all the way down, uh, from, from the Sea of Galilee all the way down to the Dead Sea, the Dead Sea being the lowest place. But it's a picture of Jesus stepping down into the earth for his ministry. But then he submerged, it's a picture of his death, right? He is laid to rest. And then as John brings him up out of the water, it's a picture of what? The resurrection. So Jesus is baptized, Jesus is baptized for a different reason. It's a picture of his whole ministry. Now all this is only understood in hindsight, amen? People at the time are like, John still doesn't know. He's probably walking away later that day. Lord, I still don't understand why I baptized the Messiah. I still don't understand. You'll understand later. Of course, John doesn't even have that much more live. He'll be in the presence of God, beheaded not long after that, and he'll know exactly why he baptized Jesus. But, but again, this is understood in hindsight. If you were there that day, you're still probably scratching your head like, uh, he doesn't need to repent. He's not repenting. He is sinless. But it was a picture picture of his entire mission and ministry. John, of course, obeys Jesus', Jesus instructions, and he baptizes Jesus. The other three Gospels all record that the heavens parted. I don't even know what this looks like, nor do you, but at some level the heavens recede. Pretty amazing. John mentions heaven here as well. And as Jesus comes up out of the water, the Spirit of God descends upon him in the visual representation of a dove. All four Gospels state this as fact. All four Gospels say that the dove came down and rested upon Jesus. Now this is critical because God told John the Baptist, whoever the dove descends upon, that's the Messiah. Now he's already told him in some level, or he wouldn't have been able to say, behold the Lamb, but he gets another confirmation. You ever glad God gives you more than one confirmation? Strangely enough, later on, John's going to re-ask the question from prison. Are you the one? You ever have your faith doubt a little bit? You're positive God had you do something, and you're like after, you're doubting it because it's not going perfectly well. And that's part of what faith is. God will allow it not to go perfectly well. But in this case, nothing was going wrong. It's exactly what God said. He said, on the one that the dove descends upon, that's the Messiah. That's the Son of God. That's the Lamb of God. 
So we have, uh, by the way, we have a dove here in the logo, as you see the Calvary Chapel logo. Uh, it's a reminder of our dependence on the Holy Spirit, that we need the Holy Spirit. We have the Word, we have the cross, they're all important, but we have to have the Spirit of God along with the Word of God. And as the dove descends upon Jesus, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record that the Father's voice comes out of heaven and says these words, You are my beloved Son, and whom I am well pleased. As John the Baptist declares and testifies in verse 34, the last verse of our text, he says, This is the Son of God. And Jesus being the Son of God is predicated on the two witnesses of this scene. The witness of the dove coming down, descending upon Jesus, and the voice of God. No one in the history of the world, just like Jesus has the only virgin birth, he also has the only descending dove voice of the Father moment. Does that make sense? There's no one else in history. John didn't get this. Paul didn't get this. Paul got struck to his knees and blinded, but he didn't have a dove descend on him, and he didn't say, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. He said, why are you persecuting me? Totally different message, right? There's only one scene, and God says, you're seeing it, and now, by the way, once you saw this, this could make John, who already preached with a lot of boldness, go nuclear with his boldness, right? Because now... He knows, beyond a shadow of a doubt, he just heard the voice of God audibly. He's seen the Spirit of God descend like a dove. And now he says, man, everywhere I go preach, I'm just pointing them to him. Stage left. So this is a final facet or proof that the Apostle John receives, uh, John the Baptist receives, I mean. And so John the Baptist, in addition to the word that the one uh, he would see would... Uh, the dove descend upon, and the, the one that uh, would receive this very clear commendation from God Himself, that that one also would be able to give the Holy Spirit, because He says, He says, He will baptize with the Holy Spirit, that Jesus will have the power and authority to give the Holy Spirit to whoever He chooses, or those that have come in faith and repentance. And therefore, the Lamb of God is also the one that gives us the Spirit of God. But remember, as we come to a close here, He came first and foremost, right at the, out of the gate, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He came first and foremost to give us salvation. And with salvation, then, only when we're saved do we get the Spirit of God. Salvation first, Spirit comes second, but that the Lamb does both. He gives the pardon of sin and He gives the Spirit of God. But everything else pales in comparison to the ministry of the Lamb. Uh, last week, Pastor Jim Cimbala uh, said this. He said, we're worried about politics, Brooklyn Tabernacle, the economy, and so many other things. But the problem we have is sin. Sin has wrecked this world, and the Lamb of God is the only one who can take it away. Would you look to Him today? And how can we not look to Him? There's literally nowhere else we can possibly look. Nothing else is a solution. They're all a mirage. If you're unsaved, you need the Lamb of God for salvation. If you're saved, you need the Lamb for sanctification. 
and for direction and protection. Even in heaven, the Apostle John, not John the Baptist, but the Apostle John, sees Jesus as the Lamb. Look at the last verse we'll look at this morning, Revelation 5, 6. Even in heaven, this is what John sees. He sees Jesus as the Lamb. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne. This is a really odd scene. A lamb on a throne? And the four living creatures in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. Everyone's saved in heaven. And yet we still will see the lamb even in heaven. Isn't that amazing? Why? Because we'll be forever grateful that he's the lamb. That's taken. We'll understand in a way we have not understood right now. We have no inkling of how wretched we are. We will kind of get it in a way we've never got it before. And so we'll still see Jesus as the lamb in gratitude. But we'll worship and we'll still worship him as king of kings and the lion of the tribe of Judah then, but our sins and our soul will know are saved because he's the lamb. Yeah. Brothers and sisters, and if you don't know Jesus, you need a lamb, not a lion. Yeah. Right now in 2020, you need a lamb. You need the lamb of God. You need the cleansing of God. Let's pray. And as we pray, I just want to speak, if there's anyone on the live stream that's watching from their living room or wherever you may be or you're here. If you've never come to Jesus, you know, I can't give people the conviction of sin. It's kind of a, it takes a lot of weight off our shoulders to realize we don't have to convict people anymore. We just present the Lamb. But the Holy Spirit has a way of speaking. He can take a knucklehead like me and speak to you. And the, the Holy Spirit can just take one word. You could have like been sleepwalking through this message and not heard a thing I said, but one thing the Holy Spirit just pricks the heart. And if there's anyone here that says, all I heard, the only thing I heard is I need my sins forgiven. And I don't think I realize just how much, but I do have an inkling that I need the cleansing of God. If, if that's you and your head's just raise your hand. I want to give you the opportunity just to call upon the name of the Lord, to call upon the Lamb. The reason the Lamb came was to save you. The reason God took me to a service in Fort Lauderdale in 1995, and me and my wife, was that we would meet the Lamb. That was the whole reason we were invited. It wasn't just to kind of be a better person. It was to, anyone at all, just raise your hand. If there's someone online, I can't see you, but I'm going to uh, just say a prayer, and then if someone's online or here, wants to give their heart and life to Christ, don't put it off. Remember it said the next day. We don't know what the next day means. You don't know what the next day holds. Don't wait. To, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. I'm going to ask one more time in this room. Anyone at all, raise your hand if there's someone in this room before I pray. I don't want to belabor it, but I also don't want to not throw out the life preserver. Anyone at all. Again, I'll pray for those who are online. If there's someone, and if you want to give your life to Jesus, he'll wash and cleanse you right now. Just pray from your heart. It's not a prayer, it's the sincerity of repentance saying, Lord, I'm turning to you because I can't save myself and I can't cleanse myself and I can't fix myself. Lord Jesus, I come. I ask you to receive me. Apply the blood of the Lamb to my heart. Cleanse me. I'm sorry for my sins. Wash me. Forgive me. 
write my name in the Lamb's book of life. Lord, I'm deciding this day to follow you, Jesus. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Forgive me of all my past, present, and future sins that I may walk with you in newness of life and serve you for the rest of my life as your disciple. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.